Are you really going to let me keep going with this? <laughs> I just want to do that. <laughs> the whole podcast. Hello, I'm Sasha Chambers. This is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Amy Rivers reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us. Amy and I are not film scholars, but we do have a genuine love of movies as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 25 years. Sasha, why isn't this just like the greatest movie in the world that people have to watch when they turn 11? Like when you turn why do you, 11, why, 11, you why, why do you it. and I share a brain? I was like, why isn't this like the film that everyone talks about as like possibly one of the most perfect films from the 80s? Why is this not always being talked about? It's an awesome movie. Rob awesome Reiner movie. was on fire. He was absolutely yeah. on fire with this. Like he just yeah. hmm, dude owned the 80s as far as I'm concerned. That's amazing. Shall we do the basics? Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner. According to the IMDb profile page, after the death of one of his friends, a writer recounts a childhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. Uh, I give it a six. Uh, I give it a six. It's a six. I mean, that's what happened ish like that's that's what happened those are the facts but so this is based on a stephen king Mm -hmm. story so i can get more even more haters stephen king wonderful stories best stories he writes great horror stories he's a terrible actual writer you know like the actual words (laughs) he chooses are terrible (laughs) but like he does know how to tell a great story and this story is perfect like it, it is everything and more of a coming of age story it's perfect in that way oh we're gonna say perfect too many times we should Mm -hmm. have a we should have a a penny jar like Vern's penny penny jar and then we can go and bury it yes every time we say perfect (laughs) shall we shall we get into the soup (laughs) yeah we're getting into the soup get the spoons soup's on let's do it yeah (laughs) all right sasha we start with Richard Dreyfuss is in this movie. He's, he's the first cameo of note. Um, and I'm going to give you this one. He, so he's sitting in his car and he, there's a newspaper next to him where he, you find out someone named Chris Chambers has died. So this is my first, not beef, but first like uh-huh. moment yeah. in the film. Yeah. Because, because like this movie is sentimental. But yeah. It's sentimental in good ways. However, the way Richard Dreyfus sees the newspaper and he's super sad and it's and I'm like deep moments, yeah, I'm with you. And then he sees the two boys on bicycles, mm-hmm. and then you see, aha, I have an idea. Yeah, and just like the change yeah. in his face is so unsubtle. Yeah. It's just so yeah, unsubtle. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it's really it's it's pretty cheesy and schmaltzy, and also just like 
bro, you just found this out. Like the body's not even cold in your mind and you're already like flipping, flipping it. You're flipping it into an opportunity, which is, which is fine, I suppose. But like, you know, no, take a breath, take a breath, take a beat, man. It's okay. Take a few. But we're going to learn that, like, you know, he would probably not have a career had it not been for Chris Chambers. Right. He also then says, this is, when he's describing, you know, as he goes into it, like what, what the story, the premise of the story is going to be. He does go on to say that this was the first time he'd seen a dead body. And I was like, the first time. (laughs) How many times has it been? He's 12 in 1959. He could have very well gone to Vietnam. What am I talking about? Ah, cheers, cheers. Well, that's good yeah. that you brought it up. So, so interesting thing in the eighties. In the eighties, we were all about the fifties. Why? 50s was I wanted the to thing. talk about this. Why were we so obsessed with the fifties and the eighties? I mean, if you think about it, it it was the people who were making films were of the age where they were looking back. So it was like you know, people oh. who were 30, 40 years old were kind of talking about, you know, looking back to their childhood and telling their stories, right. which is the same thing we're doing now with people who are our age looking back and telling stories about the 80s. Like, how many 80s films are there? You right. know, Stranger Things. Like, everyone's obsessed and masturbating all over. Yeah, that. but you it was why? there was more than that. Like, there was like, remember the poodle skirt craze? Like, everything was 50s for a minute there. And Ed DeBevick. Is it like that now? Ed fucking Bevix. I had a birthday party there. We all wore poodle I, I, skirts. Oh my god, straight up girl. I wrote Ed DeBevix, the number one place to have a birthday party in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> like like who yeah. were you if you were not having a birthday party at Ed DeBevix? Johnny Rockets. Johnny Rockets, Mel's Diner. And then uh, there were there were actually a bunch of other little ones. Like we had some in the valley that were not chains that you know, I know one was next to the, like the Parthenia Theater. I'm going to call no, my friend straight up Amy. just called Cafe 50s. Yeah, that was in Van Nuys. Someone's going to call me. I mean, actually, it was in Sherman Oaks. I saw recently that someone had opened like a 1980s pizza parlor, but I just don't think it has the same, you know, like 50s diner with the jukeboxes mm-hmm. and yeah. And, you know, the, the waitresses all dressed up. But, I mean, there's a lot of films. Like, you know, Peggy's Who Got Married. and Back to, and the, Back future. to the Future. And um, all these kind of – and even D- Dirty Dancing, even though that was a little bit the 60s. But these nostalgic films was yeah. the things in the 80s. So this it's, is a, another – this is another Rob Reiner film where there's zero black people in it. But that's okay. <laughs> Because this shit takes place in 1950s Oregon, and you'd rather not be a black person in 1950s Oregon. <laughs> was then, Richard Dreyfus ever a sex symbol? He was not. No, I mean I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom. Did he ever have a Richard Dreyfus was handsome moment? Yeah, I did think this. Have you seen Will Wheaton now? Yeah, kind of good casting when you think about it. Yeah, kind of worked. Like, not not as far yeah. off as you'd think yeah anyway so gordy is is our hero here richard dreyfus when he's older will wheaton when he's younger and will wheaton is so cute he's just like oh my god oh, he's, he's so literally cute. like a, a just like a, the tiniest little paper doll my uh-huh. god I, I did have a crush on him as well as River Phoenix in this. You know, really? When I, when I was younger, yeah. From my adult perspective now, I, I just see that like childhood wonder 
and, yeah. and that like innocence and the vulnerability like perfectly cast again Oop, penny jar he's gonna be our not hero but our narrator and he's walking through his little town which he to to me it was the whole world and he buys a magazine for 25 whole cents and then goes to a tree house and again lollipop like awesome soundtrack through the whole thing i remember like when i was in the 80s i listened to a bunch of these 50s songs oh, yeah. because yeah. of movies like this like me yeah. and my friends emily and claire like we always put on 50s music that was uh, the best stuff but so we get to this tree house yeah. and inside of this tree house smoking are a bunch of like child-sized fully formed personalities Right, like, like they—they're all like already so so developed, right? Like, so we we meet Chris and Teddy, and they are playing cards, and they are smoking and swearing at each other like they're old army buddies. <laughs> which we then find out Teddy, who is clad in army gear, is the son of a, we believe, uh, a military person of some kind that goes up for debate later on. But um, no, he no, legit. He's a he's, uh, he's he's a war. Not is he though? Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely is. What? But he is he's suffering from PTSD or some shit like that. So right. His father definitely was a World War II veteran. But he's. I clearly... wondered for a minute, you know, we'll, and we'll get to that scene. But I wondered yeah. for a minute if Teddy hadn't made that up no, to compensate no. for the fact that, like, you know, his dad I... has the PTSD. I didn't read that. I read that his dad was definitely okay. in the war, but his dad had definitely been affected by the war. Right. So, so it, much so that he, in fact, is prone to fits of rage and very unfortunately in one of these PTSD likely induced rageful fits, melted poor Teddy's ear off oh, on oh. a stove. And Teddy is not quite right. You kind of get that from the get go that that Teddy's a wee bit touched if you will off kilter off kilter, off yeah. kilter a bit yeah. and then we've got chris chambers river phoenix with a tiny pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeves is sitting oh. there playing cards with teddy he was just making so cool. racist making racist war jokes about the french <laughs> and then here's gordon just like posted up reading a comic book feet up kicking back like it's their like like it's their adult man cave you know, they're just like, they are in their glory. And then we hear, which is apparently not the secret knock. And then we get to meet Vern. Oh, oh I love Vern. Vern. So, so Vern is played by Jerry O'Connell when he was young and a chubbalub. Chubbalub. Can I tell you that this time around, love for Vern, he broke my heart. I know. Every five seconds, I just wanted to give him a hug. And they were so mean to him. And I would have been mean to him too. But he was just so sweet and dim. He, he made me laugh. And, and you forgot to mention Corey Feldman. Oh, yeah. That's Corey a, Feldman, by the way. Awesome young actor. Yeah. Undoubtedly his best performance I think Ever, he did think. so many good performances. He did, but he I mean, did. like, this a- one was layered. This was a very, yes. very layered performance yes. from Corey Feldman. It's hard to um, play kind of a, a an already fucked up... 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, mind you. That kid had it rough. Well, not, well let's not get into too much of yeah. the, yeah, we the won't child do that. star. Although we might tragedy. have to touch on it. We might have to touch on it a little bit because it, it plays into why this film was so 
so strong that those that those young boys could access that kind of nuanced performance and and that and that actually the only one that kind of couldn't (laughs) who gave who though was still good I would never like, you know, say like, wow, they should have recast him. But the most wooden performance, if I had to give it out, would have gone to Will Wheat. And, yeah. you know. But I mean, he was supposed to be kind of that like. Not necessarily. I mean, even that could be nuanced and a little bit, you know, more. I, I would never call him wooden because I, he broke I, my heart. Well, I mean, com- compared to the other guys. River Phoenix and Corey Feldman, I felt like they were acting circles. Around him. I mean, he was, he's treading water. He's holding his own. From what I heard, Will Wheaton did not want to be an actor, but his mom kind of pushed him into it. Oh, that's terrible. He had had kind of that scenario going on. So we find out in the treehouse that one of the themes of this, actually, it's starting to be like subtly laid down is the responsibility that adults have to children and how that goes so fucking south when they either don't take that responsibility or abuse of the power that they have. Because mm-hmm. immediately we start hearing about it right off the bat that we know that, first of all, we know that Teddy's ear is all mangled and fucked up because his dad melted it off. Chris makes mention of his dad being on a mean streak. Because he's drinking Burn, too much. Yeah, because he's drinking too much, exactly. Um, and we already know that like Chris Chambers supposedly is, is laid down that he he's the leader of the crew, but everyone knows that he comes from a bad family. Even him, he, he doesn't expect much of himself. He's one right? of those Chambers kids. Those Chambers kids from the other side of the <laughs> tracks. I know about them. So yeah, I mean, Vern's situation is a lot less grievous in that Vern. And this is something that I totally would have done. I would have had a jar that had maybe $10 worth of pennies in it. And I totally would have buried it in my yard, (laughs) drawn a map and then lost the fucker and spent an entire summer trying to find them. So here's the question of these four boys. Who are you? I'm a little bit Gordon. I'm a lot Chris and I'm a lot Vern. God, I think that I want to be like Gordy, or I want to be Chris, but I'm probably Vern. Like, I'm probably Vern all over it. <laughs> so Vern. Vern has got a hot, hot tip. He's got a brother who is a hood in this gang of no good nicks. And while he was underneath the porch of his home digging for these pennies, all of a sudden he hears his brother talking to one of his gang buddies about the body of ray brower a kid not he's got to be at least a couple years older than them um who has gone missing and they've been on the hunt for his body for it sounds like a couple weeks and he has not been found and it turns out that his no good nick brother and friend know exactly where ray brower was because they boosted a car on the other side of town at the other end of the tracks and they happened to spot this kid in the woods but because they had a stolen car they didn't want to report it because they knew that they'd get busted and burn's brother is all torn up about this he thinks they should go to the cops and the friend is like shut your pie hole because they're going to wonder how we got there we don't have a car we're just a couple of no good nicks it's going to seem super suspect but what i really love about this exposition is that Vern is underneath the, the porch And we see the brother and his hood friend talking about this through the diamond cutout of the lattice that blocks off the the underside of the porch. It's just so brilliantly shot. Like you just so feel like a 12 year old kid still able to fit in small spaces and hide 
and do things like that. So that's that's like a really cool moment there. We find out exactly like what's going on and which point he says to him, you know, you want to go see a, a, a dead body? And he tells them this story and they're like, whoa, we could be heroes. Whatever's going on in these kids' lives, they believe that if they find this dead body, then they'll be heroes. You know what I mean? That they, right. that's that's their idea of like, you know, they, they want to be recognized for doing something of note. They are a gang of kind of, I'm not going to say, but low lifes and weirdos. They're not low lifes and weirdos, but the world of the their small town. Yeah, they're the outcasts. Yeah. Oh, and you can clock that Teddy's like, not quite right. When he's like describing what happens, like, oh, he must have gone to pl- uh, pick blueberries. And then at night, you're walking along the train tracks and then night comes and then the train. Smacko. And he's got this smile on his face. And you're just like, oh, no, that one. That girl, one's that one's one to watch. Girl, Teddy. Yeah. Does dark shit. He says dark. A lot shit of dark shit. Whole movie. Like every, a lot of dark he shit. Left turns. A couple times in this movie where you're just like, and mm. we're going to pause there. Let's start a file on that Tell one. Us yeah. about your mother. Yeah. Because. Yeah. What's the shape remind you of? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what the same plot looks he's, like to you. Gordy is clearly just like a sick mastermind because of, as soon as <laughs> and it kind of actually reminded me of me. I'll go ahead and say that. But like when they're like, how are we going to work this out? He's like, simple. You're going to say that you're staying at my house. I'm going to say I'm staying at your house. <laughs> By, we'll be, we'll, we're golden until five o'clock on Sunday night, right? Like he's just like, boom, boom, boom. Got it all mapped out. And it reminded me of that time that I convinced you to say that you were sick. So you could come to out and play with us instead of going to one of your like five jobs that you had when we were 20. <laughs> and you were like, there's no way that they're going to believe that I'm sick. And they're like, of course they are. We were sitting in the car and I think I like pinched your cheeks and like told you to smear your eye makeup. And then I was like, go in and tell them you're sick. And you were like, oh God, this is never going to work. And I was like, oh no, no, now it will. And I took your sweater and I turned it inside out and told you to put it on like that, remember? And then when you went in, they were like, oh my God, you don't even have your clothes on. Right. Like obviously you're go sick. Go home, you yeah. poor darling. Go home, you poor darling. You put probably your sweater ended up on in backwards. Mexico. And that, was probably that is where we went. went. We did. Yeah. Was that the time that I actually got sick in Mexico and ended up in the hospital? <laughs> <gasps> the probing. We won't. Oh, we don't have to talk about God. that. Well, you had to say of... the word probing. Um. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So yeah. you, you, you know, you already outlined yeah. that 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 um, Chris has daddy issues and Teddy has daddy issues, right? But then we learn Gordy Gordon's um or Gordy's invisible boy at home this year because his um older brother, who is a football star, has died. Enter. The cameo that makes this film for me, John Cusack as Denny, his older brother, just de- going to declare it now. In the 1980s, there were two boys in my locket, left and right. River Phoenix was on one side. John Cusack was on the other. That was my yeah. life. That's that's yeah. it. Mind you, I did have a picture of Keith or Sutherland on my wall. And Corey Ugh. Feldman's name was written on my doorframe. Okay. John Cusack has two scenes in this movie, and that's all he needs to win our hearts because he's the best older brother in the universe. Yeah. Um, and break our hearts because, of course, he is died. In a Jeep accident, very specifically a Jeep accident. <laughs> Homeboy, uh, John Cusack and Keith Sutherland, 
I had no idea that they were that much older than Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. Like, I was oh my thinking God. about it. They were like, like practically on retirement. Are you kidding? They're like ancient compared to them. Seriously. Are, also, right? did you clock the fake prom photo of John Cusack? I couldn't help but wonder how many fake prom photos did John Cusack <laughs> take part in in the 80s? <laughs> Probably an entire photo album's worth. But he's just the, the way he is in the, you know, just hey, oh, he's so like, sweet it, and tender and yeah. concerned and supportive yeah, and heartbreaking. And and Gordon and Gordy's heart is clearly broken because his mentor and best friend and apparently the only person in the household that had any appreciation for him has gone. Yeah. And it appears as though that Gordy felt smaller next to his older, bigger brother for a lot of reasons, but that he felt smaller and less significant was not in his mind. As we meet his father, Gordy is standing in the bedroom of his now deceased brother, and you can tell that his father just feels like he doesn't even deserve to stand in the room and wants him out of there as fast as possible. This is another moment of like an adult bully where he yes. says, why, why can't you have friends like Denny, yeah. a thief and two thieves, which means he's also a, yeah. a judgmental prick that he would you know, condemn a child for having to steal milk money of all things. What's a Phoebe anyway? Like a feeble, feeble-minded. Uh, like uh. It's, I think that's another way of, mm. of dropping the R word. Interesting. Which they, do, which they do a few times in this movie. Well, yeah. I mean, they've got a the, the lot of 1950s put downs in this movie, which is kind of one of the things that makes it great. But is mm -hmm. also, you know, can be cringeworthy if you're yeah. if you're light of heart. Uh, this is a great scene. Chris meets up with Gordy on their way to go on the journey um, to see the dead body, and Chris says, "Hey, look, I've got something," and shows him that he. He's he's lifted a gun. Um, Walking, talking Jesus. <laughs> and then Gordy starts playing with the gun, asks it's, if it's loaded. Chris says no, and then he accidentally shoots one off, right? They scream a hilarious scream. Will Wheaton does give find... great shocked face, like great terror face. <laughs> he does. Like that's like throughout the whole thing. Like if there's a moment to show terror, shock, horror, he's that like cut cut to Will. <laughs> Zoom in on Will. Like that's he does. He does it like three it. times. Yeah. But when they're walking away, Will Wheaton's super pissed off at Chris for, oh, for so making pissed. the trip. And and like there's a really wonderful moment, and this is where we kind of get the dynamic between these two, where they are just really genuine good friends. Where Chris is just like, "Hey, man, I didn't mean to do that." And and he's like Pinky Square, and then he's like, yeah, yeah, Pinky Square. Like I would never do that to you, man. And it's just like male friendships. You know, they they talk shit to each other all the time, and they're kind yeah. of mean to each other, and and all that stuff. But there is this deep abiding love. There's like a genuine yeah. love of that friend. And 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 River Phoenix, Chris Chambers' character. Like this is where we get to see. We really why see who Chris Chambers in yeah. and why he's the leader of the crew and why he's not this like no good Chambers kid because he cares so, so much. And the way he sincerely is like, no, you, you need to hear me that I did not know that that gun was loaded. I would never do that to you, my friend, you know, yeah. um, is it's just, really it's so touching. Him. It's so touching right off the bat. And then, and then what is also touching is the way that he is willing to nearly get an eye burned out by fucking 
I'm so I'm so steamed. I'm so steamed. Like, why is Kiefer Sutherland hot, but also such a piece of living shit? Like, why is he so good at being such an asshole? You know what? I've got I've got thoughts. Like, about did him this and James one. Spader did they like? Was there like a crew of guys that just like were really good at playing <laughs> assholes and they like bowled together or something? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh. That James- scene makes me so. This next scene makes me so mad. Oh, it just hurts, doesn't it? When he takes the hat. Oh God! Yeah, because, because we've so, just seen the, yeah. him get the hat from. I mean, it, you know, this movie is. Sentimental. Did we talk about that? Yeah, in in the well, flashback yeah. scene with Denny, he gives yeah. he gives him this hat. He gives him his Yankee hat, and it's this yeah. very sweet sweet moment. And he's wearing it for this adventure because it's his lucky hat. And fucking Ace, the leader of the No Good Nick band of 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 No Good Nick shit nanigan assholes in this town, shows up with eyeball chambers, and they start teasing and harassing and bullying these kids and a steals the hat off of gordy's head and chris is like ready he's like you might be damn near twice my age and easily 50 pounds heavier than me but i am going to tell you what an actual asshole you are for doing that thing to my friend and you're like yeah that's a fucking stand-up dude goes to the mat takes it to the fucking curb where this a-hole is gonna burn his eye hole out with a fucking cigarette who does that who does that so many bullies so many bullies in this movie i've got things to say about that in a later scene but i think one of the reasons keith sutherland is i'm not gonna say redeemable but attractive right and and not gonna say attractive just because he's he, he looks pretty um it's not that but i think he it's layered like there is something in ace where you sense that Kind of up against the same things that Chris was up against. He just wasn't able to overcome them. Mm. And there's a few lines. You're that generous. Happen. No, I'm not generous. I'm, I'm going to tell okay. you about him and you're going to aha moment. And, and, okay. and also because I think there is a parallel. Like, they, you know, they talk about our gang and, and their uh-huh. gang. And that they're, they're not too far removed. The mm-hmm. difference is, is that there's hope for the younger boys where the other ones have, have no more hope left. I think there is a sense of this is what happens if you don't have a God-given gift to be a writer or you mm-hmm. don't have real friendship. An innate sense of an innate sense of justice. Yeah. So the boys get to start their journey. They do a little backward ass kick, which was like totally a staple oh my God, of I- your youth. I I know I got kicked like that. I kicked like that. That was like a thing you did. That was what you did. And the journey begins. <laughs> Best line. I brought a comb. Oh my God. Still made me laugh. Still made me laugh 25 years later. And I actually, I love the song that they sing. And I love the shot of them from a distance singing that song. Like, it's just like, it's just so pure. Yeah. Pure is the word. so pure. Pure is the word. So they're like, oh, we don't have any food. So they start arguing immediately, right? Because that's what friends do. It's like, who who was supposed to think the food? I brought the comb. He's like, why do you bring the comb? You don't even have any hair. And he says, I brought it for you Vern. Oh, Vern. It's like, just give that boy a hug. And then Gordy, the mastermind, comes in. He's like, yo, yo, calm it down. Dump out your pockets. What do we got? <laughs> Let's figure this out. So they come up with like a little over two bucks and they, they're like, okay, we're, we're going to go to this grocery store. We'll pick up some, some stuff. We can get some stuff. Um, but we're going to have to get some water at the junkyard. Ooh, ooh, the junkyard. But before they get to the junkyard, a train 
comes down the tracks. And of course, like any sane person, everyone's like, hey, train, let's get off the tracks. But Teddy, Teddy says, dig it. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy maybe isn't certain if he's going to be able to dodge that train. Um, and if he were to commit suicide in front of his friends, he's probably okay with that. There is something within this movie about wishing you were dead because he's not the only character who plays chicken. Um, he's not uh-huh. the only character who kind of romanticizes death. And then when they go into the junkyard, Chris, interestingly enough, relates a story where I guess there was a time in the past where Teddy almost fell out of the treehouse and Chris saved yeah. him then. But Chris yeah. has nightmares that he misses him. So again, something else that kind of reinforces this idea of Chris Chambers being that guy who hyper, wants to save everyone. Yeah, hypervigilant. Yeah. And, he, and he's, he wants everyone to be safe. Not happy, you know what I mean? It's not, he's not good, you know, let's everyone be happy. It's not that. It's like he wants everyone to be okay. He wants everyone to be safe. He wants everyone to, you know, he, he's cool. got be that. Peace. Yeah. yeah, peacemaker, right? That's what he calls him at the end. So the junkyard guy owns a, a dog named chopper and the myth the mythology around chopper right of course is that if you're a kid and you get stuck in the yard he's going to yell sick balls and then the, the dog is trained to to go for the genitals of young boys despite this mythical beast they are going to break into the junkyard and then they're like yeah we're just going to hang here for a while and play grab ass under these fucking rotted out cars and then tell you know tell jokes about their mamas. About uh, their mamas and stuff mamas and talk about Annette Funicello's shit tits on, on the Mickey Mouse. How what? like mama, your mama jokes are, are they've got to be an American thing, but they're not a British thing. Oh, they like, really? Well, see, so so number one, every British that not okay? I know loves their mama. I don't, that, okay. Like, they love their mama a lot. So one night I got drunk with a couple of friends um, and I was like, let's play your mama jokes, right? So one dude said a your mama joke, you know, your mama is so la la la, you know, so fat. Buh, 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 buh. <laughs> Your mama works for the, buh, buh, buh. you know, right back. They did one and one, right? And then they just stared at each other, like, don't talk about my mom. And it, like, seriously, like, they were going to beat each other up because they said a mama joke and a uh, your mama joke. And I was like, it's cool, guys. Like, this is the joke that you guys do. And it, it's, it's just joke. not, it, no, yeah. no, no. You don't talk about a, a British man's mama. Who knew? Just, I mean, FYI to the world, they don't like that. <laughs> don't fuck with the queen mother. All right. Well, <laughs> now I know. So, so they they go to get food. They decide they they flip a coin. Gordy, they get a goocher. <laughs> oh yeah, they get a goocher. <laughs> All four coins land on the same thing, and that means bad shit, man. Bad I like the shit, goocher. I like Me the word Goocher. I think we should bring that back. Instead of but no one Mercury. believes in Goochers. That's for babies. Um, I did take a note from you, though. I have started watching everything with subtitles. Ah, uh, yeah. And um, I found out, because there was always one thing that he's he calls, I think he calls Vern, Teddy calls Vern, and I'm like, what the fuck does he say? He calls him a Morphrodite, and I was like, what the hell was that? And apparently that's old-timey for hermaphrodite. So yeah, there was like a whole bunch of really ridiculously uh, terrible insults pertaining to bestiality. The R word gets dropped one or two times. And 
and the this old timey word for hermaphrodite like that's a like it's, it's a terrible thing yes yeah, so the f word yeah. for for homosexual is dropped a couple times and yeah, everyone's a pussy. They, do, they drop that a bunch yeah lots of pussies lots of lots of f words and r words and all of that stuff yeah so gordy loses the next coin toss and he's the one that's got to go to the shop now the shopkeeper is the one adult in the whole movie that is cool oh see i didn't see it that way at all he's the mm-hmm. only one who's like hey you're denny's brother did they ever say that you guys look alike you guys look you mm-hmm. look alike and then he says you know i lost a brother too mm-hmm. in korea and then he he engages korea. him what korea in korea what did i say korea as a, oh, he, he lost his brother in Korea. Oh gosh, Sasha! <laughs> I'm like thinking I misspoke in because Korea. I always smoke. Yeah, I always uh, smoke. I always misspeak. <laughs> Fuck me. You're anyway. Hilarious. Everyone needs to understand that I do these podcasts after a full day of work, night, and taking care of a a almost toddler. You've got to forgive me. Um, almost so he, toddler. He's not yet one. Don't age him yet. Toddler, toddler means walking. Oh, so he's I almost toddler a meant toddler. Like or something. I did too, but then somebody told me like toddling, toddler is oh. like if once they're walking, that's a toddler. I thought I, I thought there was like a yeah, a different like two years old was like. Oh. But now, this is what I'm told. You know, he's a baby. I'm not comfortable with the, with the word <laughs> toddler on him yet. But okay. But anyway, so. So, you know, I know that there's a moment where he says, you know, do you play football and things like that? But mm-hmm. and, and maybe he's overstepping the mark, but I think he's trying to connect with him. He's like, you know, I lost a brother and, you know, you look like your brother. And he, he to me, he's he's the one person who notices Gordy and talks to him. He's not invisible in this, this guy. I guess. Well, and I mean, I yes and he, no. Yes hurts. and no. Except for that, like when he says to him, like. You play football? He says, no. What do you do? I don't know. And then that's it. He just wants to talk about Denny. That's it. He's like, all right, well, your brother Denny was great at football and blah, blah, blah. I think he's, he just doesn't know what to to say. What do you do? Well, well, you don't play football? Do you do something else? And I I guess that I don't see that as attacking. I think he's taking an interest in him. To me, he's the one adult who's like, hey, kid. You okay? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he's t- talking to him and asking questions. And he's very I'm sweet. Also, he doesn't say anything bad. Does the dude not have any cold cuts? Do they seriously buy like a pound of raw fucking hamburger? And then, and then it's while he's in the store, he has this great flashback where we see just how much of a hero Denny is to Gordy because this is flashback of sitting around the dinner table where his father, again, like no one wants to talk about anything but Denny and his, and his football. But Denny is like, hey, have you read Gordy's story? Have you have you thought about anything other than me and my football? I have a brother right here, and he's brilliant, and that's just like so. And he just like so leans important. over yeah. and is like, "I thought the story was really good," and and it's perfect casting again. It's like they could actually be brothers, um, Will Wheaton, and and they both have that like thin, uh, tall thing going on. Yeah, no, they they yeah. do they do they do really... look like they would be. Yeah, it's cast very well. Um, so yeah, so so Gordy packs up the um over pound of raw meat into his backpack to prance off into the sun with and um <laughs> finds 
all you of his friends. Have a problem with food in movies. I know. You I really do. Like, I think about those like, things. It's like, how that's, did they put an apple in a sandwich bag? At the that's never how not going you? to bother me. How could they have sushi? Who does that? Who does that? Who puts a whole ass apple and a sandwich in one Ziploc bag? <laughs> you always Who call does it the food. So annoying. So so off he goes with some rotting meat and um, <laughs> Tomain special delivery. So he shows up back to the junkyard and sees his friends are gone. They're not in that spot. And he's like, oh, well, that's odd. Goes around the corner and sees them scaling the fence. Still doesn't dawn on him why they would be leaving like that. Because obviously his number one homie wouldn't just ditch him. Doesn't consider like looking over his shoulder where he would see the junkyard owner is there. And he's like, hey, you kid, what are you doing there? I'm fucking running full. So he takes off running towards the fence to meet his friends. And then we hear the chopper. I'm going to sick my dog on you, chopper. Sick. And then there's that famous part. And I don't know why when I was like, yeah, yeah. So what I heard was chopper, sick balls. For some reason, that part, and I don't know if it's because he said the word balls and I was like young enough to still think balls was hilarious. That was just like my favorite part in the whole. I thought it was so funny, so (laughs) funny. And of course, like Will Wheaton weighs like 15 cents worth of raw meat. And he's like (laughs) up and over the fence in like a blink of an eye. (laughs) over like a feather no but another and, another another will wheaton like face of, of pain. oh yeah another shock and horror <laughs> he does the best terror face so we get will wheaton terror face he runs flings himself over the fence and then we see the chopper of course is just like this old golden retriever that really just wants belly scratches <laughs> and it's very sweet and then like they're like haha chopper and they're teasing the dog and junkyard owner comes to the fence Oh. What the fuck? And now look, no, he no, start, no, he lays no, into these kids. He lays into these kids. What a motherfucker! Like he just it's tears awful. into to Teddy. First of all, he's like, I know who you are. Teddy Your the dad worst. Teddy is the worst. Teddy the worst. He's like, I know who you are. Well, he also he talks. He's look. The only pass that this guy gets is that they were teasing his dog. All right. Like if someone was taunting, poking, or fucking with Squiggy. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. But at the same time, these are kids, right? And it's just like, it's so insane how this guy, and he calls him fat. Gordy does call him fat. But whatever. They're fucking 12-year-old children. And he tears into Teddy talking about how his father is crazier than a shitbird and that he knows that his dad's a lunatic up in Tokus, which we can only assume is a mental uh, mental home. And, um, I mean, he just... No wonder you're acting the way you are, having a loony for a father. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. So, I mean, loony, is- loony, loony, like just yeah. straight up taunting him. And oh look, my God. Not- it's so horrible. I, if someone was hurting my dog, it would be one thing. Right. If they were just teasing the dog the way that they were there, you know, the dog's barking and they're just like, Yep. I know, you know who all of you are. I know all of your names and all I of your dads think... are going to be hearing from me, except for, of course, the loony up in Tokus. Like, oh, it's so fucked up. Oh, fuck. So and of course, broken. Teddy melts the fuck down because Teddy only wants to acknowledge his father as a war hero, not as a war hero suffering from PTSD, which I'm sure at that point didn't even have that acronym didn't exist. That, yeah. So, so I think that that's the thing, right? It's like in the 50s. Shell shock. That's what they would still call it, right? Shell shock. He was just yeah. like touched by the war. 
and touched by the war is probably what they would say, or they would probably just say that he was a lunatic, you know? Um, but no, I think definitely the father um, that had gone to war came back all fucked up and, and was, you know, Good shit like melted his own kid's ear. Exactly. And yeah. I think um, in a town of 1200, this, that, that kind of story will spread quick. Yeah. And, and there is this, and Teddy, Teddy does this weird thing, which is very common among men and their fathers where he loves his father and idolizes his father and is afraid of his father and hates his father. And the idea of somebody calling his father a name just breaks his spirit into pieces. And it's so sad when you see him like lose his zeal and his excitement and he's just sobbing because somebody has dared to break the the idol which is his father which is so fragile anyway because yeah. of of him how you know he's abusive and all these other things and it's a really heartbreaking moment yeah. and there's that really great moment from our narrator right older gordy richard dreyfus who's like it really blew my mind how much teddy loved his father even though he'd melted basically his ear off and i hated mine who hadn't laid a hand on me since i was three and that was for eating bleach under the yeah, sink yeah. you know which what the who eats bleach <laughs> well if you do god I, the things that my kid will put into his mouth no but the, that that's it though that's the scary thing about abuse isn't it is that there is this, well yeah this you know Kids who are abused almost idolize their abusers, where kids who aren't abused but are mistreated. I mean, you could you could argue that that um, the way Gordy's father treats him is, is emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, but but Gordy is he's more with it. You know, he kind of he's got a couple more um, matches in the in the box. Matches than, in the box. This is than, true. Than um, uh, Teddy does. So he is yeah. kind of like. I don't, he, even though he, um, Gordon hates his father because his father hates him, you know what I mean? And it, it, right. he has a, it's an emotional problem as well. Like he doesn't hate his father. Um, he, yeah, he out, wants his father to love her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every boy Just does. like all those kids. Yeah. That's all those kids want. He but, wants his dad to have not melted his ear off. Chris Chambers would love if his dad wasn't a drunk that was angry and like yeah. all of those things. But yeah. Gordy at least has the wherewithal to know that what is the way his father is treating him is not right. Whereas right. Teddy forgives his father because he stormed the beaches of Normandy and, mm-hmm. and therein lies the difference. You know what I mean? Right. And um, then of course, Teddy's so sweet. He recognizes that he might be being some kind of a buzzkill. And then we have yet like an even sweeter moment on top of that, where they acknowledge, well, maybe this isn't a party. Like we're on our way to go see a dead kid. Like this isn't maybe, well, an awesome thing. This is where I was talking to you about before. There's this kind of romanticizing about death. This is one of the first moments where the reality sets in. Throughout the movie, we, we cut back to the, the other gang here and there. And I don't think we should go through every single one of their scenes, but this scene is the, the great one between um, which kind of girls we'll, we'll put out. Oh. <laughs> a Catholic girl won't. If you want to get laid, get a Protestant. And the Jew is good. Uh, you know, you would think, I just think, I think they're so mean and I'm glad you were able to find some redeeming things about them. And I guess I can see where you're going with that. I can see it, but I just never, even as a young girl ever thought the band of no good next was like hot or interesting at all. I was like, they're so nasty and so mean and I hate them. 
I think they're gross. Oh, I think I hated them too, but I, I still, still hate them. I still think they're gross. Keith or Sutherland. He makes me mad. He made because me mad. Because he's hot, but he's such an asshole and everything. All I'll have to say, you know, as much as, yes, he's older than River Phoenix and Will Wheaton, God, it was crazy to see how young he was. Yeah. You know, he, he does look a yeah. little angelic, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. he is. Cher- the, cherubic. Yeah, he is. He's, I mean, yeah. very handsome guy. I read some random trivia that he didn't know that his father was an actor until he was 18. I'm like, what? How could he not know that? How could you not know? What rock were you living under? I don't buy that. I don't buy that either. I think that's dumb shit things. Yeah. I think that's like bullshit. I am. It was Amazon. Amazon Prime told me that. I was like, what? Yeah. No. I I, I would. That's like Wikipedia information. I don't believe that shit. All right. (laughs) Anyway, they continue walking, following the train tracks. And Gordy turns to Chris and asks him, am I weird? Chris plays it off. He's like, yeah, you're weird, but we're all weird. And then changes the topic to talk about school. Chris talks about how they're going to be split up now that they're going to go to junior high and how Gordy's going to have to be in the smart classes while he, Vern, and Teddy are going to have to be in the stupid classes or doing shop, making birdhouses and shop. And Gordy is like, no, I'm not going to abandon my friends. At which point Chris says, yeah, you are. And you'd be stupid not to. You know, you need to go to you're school. You're going to have shit. You blah, can't blah, be blah, hanging blah. out with people with shit for brains. Yeah. And you're going to have exactly. shit for brains if you let your friends hold you back. At which point, Chris Chambers is, says to him, I really wish I was your dad. Because if I, I was your dad. I wish to hell I was your dad. Yeah, God gave you a gift. God gave you a gift. And he's, it's like he said, look, kid, this is what we got for you. This is what we got for you. You got this gift. And you can tell all these amazing stories. So do what you can with this gift, kid. Do what you Do what you can. Because kids... Kids will lose everything if someone isn't there to look out for them. Wise beyond his years. You know, that's why Chris is a hero. He really cares about all of the other boys. You so know? selfless. He's absolutely selfless. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, because he thinks so little of himself, I mean, which is the sure heartbreaking enough. part of it. Yes. Um, but I love this part. I love the idea of your friend taking the place of your parents who have who have abandoned you and believing in you so much. Well, that's why when you were like, I don't want to call Gordy the hero. It's like, no, Gordy's our narrator. Gordy's our, our main yeah, you're right. voice, the but the hero is friendship. I think that's the difference between this gang and that gang. This gang has those friendships. Just the, the faith that he has and what he wants for Gordy. It's yes. just a truer friend there never was. And then we get the outrunning the train scene. And I'm just going to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So stressful. What's it super stressful? You know what? It's so stressful for me for so many reasons. Whereas, like, there's, like, so many things that drive me crazy. Like, one, like, they talk about it at all. Right. We're just like they're debating it. And I'm like, you're wasting time. If there's a train, get the fuck across the bridge. Right. Yeah. And they're like, OK, we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to go across this like fucking train bridge where our only option is to jump 100 feet. It looks like a lot more than 100 feet by the by um, into the fucking potentially shallow waters. Um, and then they proceed to walk. If there's a train knees to chest, baby, like let's just like let's, you know, like like we got somewhere to be let's let's get across this bridge right so they take their sweet ass time getting across this thing and then gordy is a genius right because we know he's the mastermind 
he keeps feeling the rails. He keeps feeling the rails, right? And you know that eventually he's going to feel those fucking rails and a goddamn train is going to come. And sure enough, he feels the rails and we get fucking Will Wheaton terror face yet again. And there's like the puff of black smoke. And now they realize that they can actually run. And then Chris and Teddy run. And then there's Vern, Lord Jesus Vern. And I, I can't get mad because that would be me. That would be me. Trying to crawl on my knees because I'd be afraid that I'd fall off to the side because I'm so afraid of heights. Um, and then they almost get murked by the fucking train when Will Wheaton's like, you motherfucker, and just like grabs him and throws him off the side. And then I never clocked this either until this watch when Chris and Teddy come around the corner to, to, to find Vern and and gordy off on the side like where they jump to is just full of giant boulders and shit i'm like how did they not fucking die how did they not die or at like, least get a scratch oh yeah least, they should have a little a little fucked sp- up scraped knee or elbow like their clothes should have been jacked or something a tooth something. that was a significant jump into rocky rocky territories but anyway they don't die and then, and then we they, get the campfire scene. Yeah, they, they make, make camp. camp and they, they and make they dinner make where they walk in with this raw ass meat <laughs> rotten in the sun in a backpack for hours. And now they're going to use their dirty, sticky little child hands to wrap it around a shit covered <laughs> stick and eat it. <laughs> they bought buns, but they don't oh use the buns. God. They just wrap the meat around some shit ass covered stick in the woods and <laughs> ew. As they, as they settle around the campfire. They say, Gordy, tell us a story. Oh, my God. I knew this part was coming up, and I love this part. And I always thought it was super masterful in the storytelling to kind yeah. of break scene and have this it's like mm-hmm. a story within a story. But the story, girl, a boy who is bullied for being fat, bullied so much so that everyone, including his sister and his mother, call him Lardass. And it is how he wreaks revenge by basically going to a pie eating contest drinking a bunch of castor oil and eating rags before so he will get sick as he eats the pies vomit all over everyone yeah and um what was it did i write it down create a total barfarama barfarama um, this is where my aversion for competitive eating comes from <laughs> <gasps> Can I tell you, I actually got sick when I watched it. Really? Like the, the first time you watched it no, or just no, recently? No. Today. Today when it was <gasps> on, I was like, oh my God, I can't watch this. Like it was, it was too much for me. And this is from somebody who gets thrown up on all the time. It's because it's blue. It oh, just yeah. made me so ill this time. And it's a great story. But God, I was just like, Bleh. It's so nasty. It's disgusting. And the way, the way, of course, Gordy has written this story is amazing and hilarious. When the, when the actual Barfarama begins and he was like, when boyfriends barfed on girlfriends, girlfriends barfed on boyfriends, the women's auxiliary barfed on the benevolent order of the antelopes. Like, it's just like, it's amazing. This is the moment where you, you get to understand that, yes, Gordy is a fantastic writer that he does have a gift. And then and the story, Teddy goes weird. Yeah. The story <laughs> perfectly. He, he's yeah. such a good writer that the story is perfectly. And then Teddy asks him what happens next. And Gordy's like, Oh, I don't know. He goes home and eats a couple cheeseburgers. What are you talking about, man? And then Teddy's ass 
Do you remember That's what he not says? It. He says, what if he goes home, shoots his father, yes. runs away and joins the Texas Rangers? And they're like, yes. Um, <laughs> but like, kills his father. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, that's obviously his 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 murder yes. fantasy, right? It's like because yes, it, he wants to be military. He wants to be like his dad. Yes. He loves his dad. But also if he were to off him and run away and join the Texas Rangers, that would work, too. It's super dark. So, so dark. You know, like, it's so dark and then gets lightened up immediately with us with some other really silly campfire conversation. What is Goofy? Is Goofy a man? Is Goofy a dog? Is he a dog man? Is he a man dog? A dog what is man. Goofy? He's a dog man. He's a dog man. He's a dog yeah. man. I mean. I mean, it's the same thing as like but, like Mickey Mouse is a mouse man, right? He's but he not, drives a car. Mickey drives, drives a fucking a steamboat. But what about Pluto? I would say that he is a dog. You know, Goofy is a dog man. But he's a dog man like Mickey Mouse is a mouse man. And Donald Duck is a duck man. <laughs> I wonder how Pluto feels about But Pluto is a, is a dog dog. But like, how does Pluto feel about that shit? You know what I mean? Like, he's like, why do you get to be a dog man? But I'm a dog dog. You know what? To be honest, I can't remember Pluto being in any cartoons. Like, I don't remember Pluto. Like, I know Pluto. who Pluto is. But like, whose dog was he? Mickey's. Really? Mickey's dog. Yeah. My ass does. I can't recall one cartoon. Mickey's, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's Mickey's dog. Well, somebody write Pluto. us and tell us. Is Pluto a stray? <laughs> Who's feeding Pluto? Who's feeding we need to find this Pluto. out. Who's take, who's Do you know take... that we just had the campfire conversation? I know. That's what's happened. <laughs> oh, so, my so God. They hear noises and they get scared. They look like little boys that need their moms. Mm-hmm. And all of their kind of artifice, the cursing and the smoking, and the, for, that's for babies and, and all that stuff kind of sheds away. And you kind of just see four little scared boys camping in the woods so then they of course decide to stand guard yes and teddy gets the first watch and of course teddy takes this shit way too fucking seriously <laughs> reporting like he's like actually on military duty which is so annoying i'm surprised that chris chambers didn't pistol whip him with that fucking shit while they were trying to slip <laughs> then Vern gets the second watch whoever thought to put a gun in Vern's hands i can't believe they were like that's a good idea right and then chris is on third watch He's sitting at the campfire, trying to stay warm, trying to stay awake. And there's Gordy having a nightmare. He wakes up all distraught. And then it's all revelations about the depth of this friendship. Sitting under this tree, Gordy wants his friend to know that he thinks he's just as smart as he is. And that there's no reason for them to have to be split up because he could come and do the accelerated classes with him as well but nay nay says chris because no one would let him do that because no one believes that a chambers kid possibly could be a good kid he's tainted by his name and they won't let him that's literally what he says they won't let him be more than what they believe him to be we find out how golden his heart is even though he comes from the wrong side of the tracks and even though he's been raised in a culture of we do wrong to get right for ourselves he knows right from wrong. And in this particular instance, he in fact did do the thing that we find out Gordy's father condemned him for. He did steal the milk money. And I love when Gordy says to him, did you take it? Because that means this whole time, his friend has never bothered to question. He wasn't going to listen to a rumor and he wasn't going to ask because he didn't care because Chris Chambers is his friend, right? 
When yeah. he asks them, though, he said, did you, did you take the money? He responds with, fuck yeah, I took the money. Who am I? I'm Chris Chambers. I'm a Chambers kid. I'm from a bad family. I took the fucking money. You knew I took it. Teddy knew I took it. Vern knew I took it. Everybody knew I took it. But no one asked me. They just assumed. They just assumed the worst of me. But let's imagine that I felt bad about it and I wanted to take it back and all the money was there. And we find out about the worst adult bully in this story, the school teacher who he entrusted to take this money back, this all every dime accounted for money back with his apologies that he had transgressed in such a way. And the teacher stole it. The teacher stole it, bought herself an outfit, and he was condemned for a crime he didn't commit. And there'd just be no point in saying anything because he knows as Chris Chambers, no one would ever believe him anyway. And he just wants to disappear and go somewhere where nobody knows him. And he bursts into tears. And it's so heartbreaking. That's a big moment. You know, and the way he tells the story is, you know, well, maybe I took it, but maybe I did. Maybe, 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 you know, he's not even like, Accusing anybody. Well, it's almost like, like to actually say that it happened would be too painful. Yeah, It'd be too hurtful yeah. to actually say this mm-hmm. is what happened. I, mm-hmm. I did the thing. I tried to be good, but someone made me bad anyway. All these boys, except Vern. Yeah. You know, I mean, Vern, <laughs> well, that's not true. Yeah. I mean, the way they tease Vern is, is pretty yeah. horrific. But like all these boys, my heart breaks for all of them. The, we the, also didn't mention, though, what Gordy's nightmare was, which oh, is yeah. terrible as well. Oh, yeah. He dreams that his father wishes it was him who died, which is, of course, we know how we believe his father feels. And we know that's how he feels about how his father feels about him. But it's just a sad thing to yeah, see. Yeah. And then both of these boys are just sitting there in the dark, kind of reconciling with these pains that they're carrying. And then the morning comes. Gordy had had last watch and he's sitting on the train tracks uh, next to the pistol with a comic book in his lap. A deer comes along the tracks. I've never understood why him seeing a deer and not making mention of it. Like, I've never understood that, why that was meant to be profound. Even as a kid, I was like, BFD, like, who cares? Like, this, that's- is, a, this is a motif that's in, in a lot of movies. A deer is a symbol of innocence. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not the first time this motif was used, probably. And it was definitely not the last. Suddenly being in the wild and then seeing a deer is always emblematic of a moment of like innocence and nature untamed and and sweet and beautiful and then you know okay. the world rushes in it bothers me too it's kind of just like oh yeah so it's a really schmaltzy weird yeah. moment but, but like, anyway again, like if if you were to fault this movie at all which i don't i would fault there is sentimentality. Yeah. So they pack up camp and it looks like they picked some like wild berries or something. Cause like their shirts are all stained, which then disappear later. There's no berry <laughs> stains, which bothers me, but they're stuffing their face with berries. And I just love this moment of absolute shade from, from Gordy to Vern. Cause Vern's like, why didn't you get breakfast food? Like, you know, soda and Pez and shit. <laughs> and Gordy responds with, I'm so sorry. A more experienced shopper could have gotten better value for your seven cents. And I just thought it was so hysterical. Um, and then, and then we get the grossest, the, like, oh my God, leeches. we get the grossest thing ever. Leeches. leeches. They decide to take a shortcut and cross through leech infested waters, which they think is a shallow pond, but of course it's neck deep, nasty, murky ass water. They start grab assing in the water and roughhousing and they're all like dog piling on the other side of this thing. And, oh, Vern, 
you've got something on your neck, Vern. Leeches! And they strip down to their chones, start pulling off all of the leeches from their body. But then something happens that's horrifying. Gordy finds a leech on either his dick or his balls. And he like pulls the thing Does out with bloody ass Does fingers. It Does it matter? Does it matter? I know. Does it matter at all? He pulls the thing out off of his junk. His fingers are bloodied oh my God. from where this thing has been feeding off of his genitals. And then, of course, like any decent human, passes the fuck out, right? I'm- what I don't understand is how all those other boys didn't immediately drive their hands into their pants to make sure... Because leeches are not, they don't discriminate. I do not have a penis or testicles, but this scene has always been like, that's the worst thing that could happen to a human being. Oh, it's awful. Well, I hate leeches. Like, I've never had a disgusting. Ew. Me either. The idea of like, no. Leech is disgusting. Blood sucking slug. Blood sucking slug. Like, it's vampire schnecka. It's vampire schnecka. Oh my God, somebody please fan art that. Meanwhile, Billy and Charlie, who are, who are the boys who found the dead body in the first place, they have finally told Ace an eyeball, and now they're on their way via car to find the body as well. This is the scene, the first inkling that uh-huh. Ace, who is Keith Sutherland's character, is more than meets the eye. So they're playing okay. chicken in the car, right? Oh God, yeah. And and he does the the asshole thing. He does he doesn't move. He keeps on going in spite of the fact that they are about to die to the point where the van that's not even playing the game goes off and like mm-hmm. drops the lumber out of the back of the thing, right? And they're yelling at him, and he he doesn't. He's like steel. He just keeps on going forward. And when they're done, he goes, Ah, oh, I won. This guy, in my opinion, cares so little about his life. It wasn't about winning. It was about it didn't matter if he won or lost. And I think that, you know, you could just read it as he was like this psychopath character. But I don't think it's that. I think he is Chris Chambers grown up Mm. where, you know, it doesn't matter if I live or die. He's a very sad character. There's a darkness behind him, but it's it, mm-hmm. it comes from insecurity and it comes from the fact that his life doesn't matter. I just read it as he's a bully ass and that he always needs to win. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So that's I why I say I think you're being you're being very very generous. I can see it. Well, I'll tell you I can the see second it. Second scene that okay. The the next scene that that he he makes one other comment that makes me think. Okay, so the boy gang. The young yeah. gang. They're putting themselves back together after having been consumed nearly by leeches. <laughs> and Gordy has changed. He's sitting there in a catatonic state. And the boys are considering, maybe may- maybe this is not okay and we should go back. Because, like, Gordy's all fucked up. Then Gordy fucking snaps. And he's like, y'all bitch babies, shut the fuck up. Load the fuck up. Pony the fuck up. We riding out. We came this far. We're getting it done. Get the fuck out. Let's go. And he is run. He is running the show. After that, he's like, "Is this the road? We're going down this road. This is what we're doing. We're doing this now." Like I always, he hi, turns Corey. and looks, and he gives a kind of Jack Nicholson in The Shining look. Yeah, right. Him, right. You're like his yeah. furrowed brow, and he's like, "Shut yeah. up!" And 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 like <laughs> the voiceover says, like like seeing the dead body had become an obsession. So they are like, no one stopping us now. 
we on a move and they are like can keep on marching on and they go down the road and like literally like within seconds what law enforcement couldn't do for weeks on end Vern does within like 15 seconds of being on this road i know they've been searching for this kid for weeks and they they knew that he had been somewhere in that area but somehow they couldn't find this kid that was like literally you could see from the train tracks he's right there and this is what i'm saying he's got to be at least a couple years older because it's not like dead look like he's got like a nine uh, like a four o'clock shadow five o'clock shadow he's at least 14 or 15 he's at least 14 or 15 and and uh, all fucking dead in the bushes and see this is the moment where reality super drops in death is not a joke yeah this is is real this is a yeah, this is an actual movement. dead kid. Yeah. Chris is like, we'll build him a stretcher. Let's find some some long branches. And Gordy is done. Between the dream and having a leech on his balls, he and now faced with this dead kid, too much mortality, too much of it all has just come up for him too soon. And he yeah. sits down and begins to reconcile with the fact that he never cried at his brother's funeral mm-hmm. and starts to have that experience right then and there mourning vicariously through the dead Brower child. And his, and his father hates him. And his, yeah. And, it and he wishes it him. was him that died. Yeah. And Again, of course, Chris is right there to be like, yeah. And of course, Chris is right there to be like, don't say that. Don't ever say that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they make a joke about how you're going to, you know, he says, you're going to be a great writer one day. You have a lot to live for, essentially. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll even write a story about this, you know, if you're, if you get real hard up for material and they make a joke. And then the yeah. baddie boys show up where they start to say that, you know, they are going to come for the body and they've got two choices. They can leave and let them take the body or they can let them beat the shit out of them and then they'll take the body. But either way, they're taking the body. And Chris is like, no, nah, it's not happening. You're going to have to fucking kill me. And Ace is like, no probs, bro. I got that all day. And Chris is ready. Chris is ready to face down Ace, two dudes with a death wish. And then here comes Gordy shooting bullets into the air. Gordy's like he's gonna- got a gun. Indeed. Gordy's got a gun. And he's got, got a gun. At- Ace and he basically lets Ace know, I'ma fuck you up. Fool. And Ace is like, you don't have the cajones basically to shoot a woodchuck. And he's like, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood, which is just like one of like the best best lines the best ever line of the entire film. And he's like, What are you gonna do? You gonna shoot everybody? And this is where you're like, oh shit, don't fuck with Gordy. He's like, no. Just you, Ace. Just you, Ace. Just you. Just and you. Ace is like, I um, I believe you. He backs off and he's like, don't think we're not going to forget this. We're going to come for you. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't, says Chris. Oh, no. We're never going to forget this if that's what you're thinking. This is big time, baby. He says to 12-year-olds. What kind of grown-ass, bully-ass bitch man okay. says something like that to 12-year-olds? Come on now. Here, here are my two moments. The first moment is while he's got the gun at him, Ace starts talking to him trying to talk him down and at one point he says something to the effect of you've got some sense like your brother did oh yeah he's probably the same age as denny was mm-hmm. you know so he knew mm-hmm. denny i have a feeling that everyone loved denny even mm-hmm. ace like it, it mm. just the way he says it doesn't seem manipulative it just you get you get the sense that like 
I'm not your brother. You know what I mean? I'm the polar opposite of what you're supposed to be. Like you're the good kid. Like this mm-hmm. isn't you. I'm not saying that he's not a bully because he is a terrible bully. And what he does is horrible. What's always film. also upset me about that scene was that he doesn't get his hat back. I really, it's yes. there's never been a watch of that where I'm like, why yes. didn't they have the hat on him to be able to get it back? You know what though? It would have been so corn doggy if, if, <sighs> they, if they, in this moment, it was like, hey, yeah, give me back You're my right. hat. It would have been very like, die you're hard, right. You're you right. Know? I just am been... still really pissed. They took his hat. It, it, it bums it, me out. But um, the second thing I'm going to say is, uh, who did the costumes? Because Keith Sutherland's shirt is banging. I want so that. good. That it's, it's like so good. That's 19, every hipster's dream right now. Oh yeah, it's the coolest shirt ever. But yeah, yeah. So I think I think Ace is maybe on the page. He's pure evil, but I think that that Keith Sutherland brings shades to it where he's complicated. Like I said, I think that he. He too has a death wish. He too kind of has the the brunt of being a bad kid, um, and and in a town where that's inescapable. As opposed to Chris, who's fighting against that role, he's embraced it. But you know, maybe I am being generous to the bullies. But you know, no You're one's being a, very generous. No one's a bully just because they're a dick. You people are usually bullies because of things that happen to them. How Christian of you? It's very, that's not it's Christian very... of me. That shit's true. You know, well, in this moment, we recognize that these kids are really good kids, and they have come to the realization that right. not only is death not necessarily something you should wish for, but it's something you should have a lot of respect for, and no yes. one's going to take this body. And they cover it with a blanket, make an anonymous call, and make sure that his remains are claimed, but they claim no reward, they claim no fame, and they walk in silence through the night back to the town where this place that was their home and their whole world suddenly feels so much smaller. As uh, Gordy says goodbye to everyone, we kind of find out what happens to each of them in the future. Now, Vern gets married, has a bunch of kids, and becomes like a forklift operator. Sounds right. Um, Sounds right. Whereas Teddy tries to get into the army but can't, and instead ends up kind of in and out of jail and doing odd um, jobs around town. But then, of course, we, we yeah. get a moment with Chris Chambers. And Gordy. Best friendship ever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just best friendship ever where, where you know, Chris, after all this has happened, still feels that he's never going to get out of this town. And-, and then Gordy steps up and Chris Chambers is him and is like, you can do yeah. whatever you want to do, man. Yeah. I believe in you. I like that you made it a verb. And I like that you made it a verb and you're my best friend named Chambers. So we can maybe just call it chambering you. I like it. Chambers, you. You chambers. Yeah, chambers is better. Chambering yeah. sounds a little dirty, sounds a little, doesn't it? There's sounds something, a yeah, sounds sounds like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but chambers. Something you'd find on Urban Dictionary, yeah. Chambers. And, and then we, of course, find out that he did the college courses, and it was really hard, but he gutted it out to the point where he, he went to college and became a lawyer. But then, of mm-hmm. course, unfortunately, he walked into a fast food joint. Two men got in an argument and died almost instantaneously um, trying to make trying the best peace between them yeah. and gets stabbed in the throat and dies almost instantly. And, uh, then, and then when he walks away, he disappears, which is kind yeah. of one of the only corny tricks this film does. But yeah, it, but it, it does. It works there. 
hits you in the belly. It works there, gets you and in then, the feels. It's good. And then when you add to the point that River Phoenix has died, yeah, yeah, as well. Oh, heartbreaking. Again, I said this in in our special cut podcast on River Phoenix. It's hard to watch his film sometimes because it is so sad. So Chris Chambers walks off into the <gasps> distance. Oh. And I forgot to tell you this part. Talking about my kid, um, and I hope this makes the podcast, but <laughs> so they, they say goodbye to each other and they wave. And no, he didn't. Waved. Yep. Because that's his new thing. So when he oh! saw, because I, I you know, I kind of stood in front of the television to watch that yeah. part, you know, because it's such a, a uh-huh. monumental part of the film. And I did. And, and Blevin, who is learning how to say goodbye, they they waved goodbye to you. See you later. Not if I see you first. And they wave. And Blevin just. Oh, precious. It was, it was fucking ridiculous cute. Precious. It was a number 11. So we come back to present day Gordy, who is now an established writer. And this is um, this is awesome because this is now the second Rob Reiner film where when you leave the. um the super world, right? The world of, of that is being narrated and you come into the real world. This is again, the second film where you would have no idea when this was shot, except for seeing the technology of the day, <laughs> that fucking war games I, computer. I tried to screen grab it. So I, we could, Oh my it, God. It, that it, fucking R2D2 that he's typing away on. Like, it's just hilarious. Like the screen is like a six inches square. <laughs> And like the letters are an inch high. <laughs> Do you want to play a game? It's amazing. It's amazing. But so he's in his office and he's writing. He's finishing up the writing of this book when his son breaks into the room and is like, are you done? We want to go swimming. It's him and his friend. And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll go. I'm, I'm almost done in like 15 minutes. And then the friend says, well, that's what he said a half an hour ago. And my thought is like, you a guest. You need to watch your fucking mouth. <laughs> So uh, yeah, so then he writes the the final end of the line, the the final line of the of the book, which is you know even though I hadn't seen him in ten years, I know I'll I'll miss him forever. And in my life, I've never had friends like I did when I was twelve. Jesus, does anyone? Oh yeah. And it's you know, I mean, if anything, that's the line I think that's remembered. um, Yeah, like that's that's a big deal. Like we could talk about that for a minute. Like who who was your ride or die crew when you were twelve? I had three boys, three boys that I, I hung with from sixth grade through seventh grade eighth grade and then i made started making better girlfriends right but like that we were on our bikes getting into shenanigans doing shit all the time and i just and i thought about it and i looked them up it's funny because two of them switched places in my mind like the one that i thought would be like doing all kinds of wacky shit became deeply deeply religious and married another girl that we were in elementary school with and they've been together for years and now they now have two kids and they're super uber religious and then um, the one who I thought was going to grow up to become like a very respected business person or lawyer is like a DJ at Coachella or something and like <laughs> wears kilts and was on the Feminista <laughs> trip way before it was fashionable. And, and then another one just totally didn't disappoint. He is, of course, married with two lovely children and works as like the head of education at like a medical college or something. And I'm like, wow, that's just so crazy. Think about like the shit that we got up to. And then there they are. And like, like he said, like son, the, the people that are in your life, they're there. And then all of a sudden they just become other faces in the halls. 
No, mine were Emily and Claire. And, and I have to say, they're still friends of mine. And what I've found is we won't talk for six months. We won't talk for a year. Uh-huh. Or we'll just send a happy birthday or we'll just do that. And then when we are back together, we are suddenly able to talk and, and, and laugh and make jokes like we are 12 years old again. Like right. it goes, it boomerangs back to just like utter comfortability. It, it's insane how immediate we go back to, to just as if we, we spoke to each other last week. That bears the question. On a transatlantic flight, what would you watch? Stand by me. His fast gun higher heeds the calling. A soldier of Fortin is a man called Paladin. Fuck it all. I'm only watching Stand By Me. It doesn't matter. Unless Princess Bride is in the mix. Fuck Liam Neeson and anything else. I'm only going to watch Stand By Me over and over again. Now that I have watched it and now that I have purchased it, I think that I'd like to watch it more often. Same with The Princess Bride. It's like, Mm -hmm. like this is another one where it's like, yeah. I'm going to check this out a couple more times a year because it's just, it's so moving. It is. I would yeah. never get tired of watching this. I ever. don't think I would. Yeah. I mean, I literally watched it like five times. Anyway, I think that's all she wrote. So I guess yep. at this point we should say. Thank you all for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. And if you've liked what you've heard, please pop on over to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us some stars and a review. You'd also make our day if you could follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. And if you've got the time, shoot us a DM with any comments, questions, complaints, or requests for future reviews. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time... Have gone, will travel, read the card of a man. A knight without armor in a sack.